Hi, I'm Brett Stafford and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's by far the worst month in the history of the U.S. vaping industry, September 2019, when from out of nowhere, the so-called vaping-related lung illness captured global media attention and prompted serious threats to ban vaping. This on the heels of the constant drumbeat over the epidemic of teen vaping, which many blamed on the big tobacco-backed Juul vaporizer. But another big piece of news dropped that September about a new vaping device that, according to its developers, promises to be the first vaporizer designed for smoking cessation. And that device is the Hale. Joining us today on RegWatch is Hale co-founder and CEO Josh Israel. Josh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Brent. Your company is a venture capital-backed startup out of Philadelphia and is not rooted in the traditional e-cigarette industry as we know it. First off, what is Hale and how did you come to the idea? Yeah, so Hale is a drug device combination product that, as you mentioned, is intended for smoking cessation. And how we came up with the product is actually my co-founder's grandmother had passed away from smoking due to lung cancer. And his little brother was expressing his frustration to us that he wanted to quit smoking entirely, but the current nicotine replacement therapies like the gums and the patches weren't working for him. And so we were wondering why no one was using e-cigarette technology as a cessation tool rather than just providing people an alternative addictive product. Many of our uh, people that we interview always, you know, adamantly say that e-cigarettes is smoking cessation, although the regulators won't let them say that. It's an interesting concept that they believe that, you know, commercially available e-cigarettes are smoking cessation when really you are continuing to smoke a device. If you just take those two words at its face value, you're not you're not stopping smoking anything. You're continuing to smoke that device because those products really are either the same level of addiction that cigarettes are or actually end up addicting people further to nicotine. So you're not stopping your smoking. Our device is intended to entirely stop your smoking and hopefully eventually you'll stop using our device as well. And we all know that addiction is a lifelong struggle for people, right? So you, it's not it's not that we can, we're curing that addiction uh, to the drug substance. Um, so of course there'll people, there will be people who end up relapsing and coming back to hopefully use our product again to, to help them through that uh, tough time in their life. But yeah, in essence, that if our product is successful, we hope that people do stop using our product at some point in time. Let's talk about the device. What are its key features? Yeah, so the interesting part of our device and what makes it unique is that, you know, as we are reducing, without getting into too much detail here about our RIP and patents that we hold, but we're, while we're reducing the nicotine intake in our device, we're actually increasing our drug-free formulation. So what we're doing is we're providing our patients or users a consistent smoke experience as we automatically reduce their nicotine intake. Now, how does that work? So we're controlling time and temperature within our device, which is effectively reducing the dosage of nicotine in an inverse relationship to our drug-free formulation. So as the consumer or patient is smoking our device, our algorithm and our technology is controlling the reduction of their nicotine dosage and increasing that drug-free dosage. So that provides that consistent smoke experience over a certain period of time based on the type of smoker that they are. Let's talk a little bit about the development of the product. How did you kind of start that development and how far along are you in the process? Yeah, we started the development about uh, close to two years ago, as you mentioned, September, September 2019. Uh, so my co-founder and I previously built a tech company prior to this. So we have some kind of grounding in the technology space. That being said, you know, we're not experts in hardware. Uh, software is really our bread and butter. So we were able to kind of, you know, build up the software portion of this. And my co-founder, Devin, basically taught himself to a certain degree electrical engineering and was able to rough prototype a device using, you know, uh, just rough boards that you can buy at any hardware store. And we were able to create a, cons a concept of what this product would do. 
Uh, we pitched that to a few institutional investors and angels. We were able to raise capital. We brought on some some people who are well versed in the hardware space and hardware investors, and it's allowed us to get to the point where we are today, where we have you know really a working hardware uh, device and software product on both uh, iOS and Android. What have you been able to borrow uh, from the traditional e-cigarette industry, if anything? I think the the base technology uh, of e-cigarettes is still there within our device. So, you know, the materials and the things that you find in commercially available e-cigarettes, that's what you're going to find in our device. So we borrowed that to a certain degree, right? So the coils, you know, the wicks, all all that that's been developed over time and kind of perfected to a certain degree, we've used that and we've adapted it to our kind of unique design. With regards to the kind of political environment that's out there, is that something that is hampering the development of your product or do you see it as an advantage? I don't think it, you know, as in so far, you know, it's pretty early in our development from a regulatory perspective. So we haven't been hampered uh, by anything as of yet. Um, I don't know that it's going to help us either. The path that we're following is is going to be a tough one. You know, we're going down a medicinal path through the FDA. So no matter what, the burden that's placed upon us to get our product approved is great. The capital intensity is high and the time that it's gonna take is gonna be long. So it's not that you know any political uh, things that have been happening around vaping is helping us, it really isn't. So the you know, so-called epidemic of teen vaping and Evali and all that kind of stuff, you don't think that that's helped? So far, no. Um, I think that if our product is to be approved, I think it's there's a potential for us to hopefully uh, also seek a pediatric designation. Because if you look at, and I think everyone would agree that people under 18 shouldn't, especially people who haven't been smoking, shouldn't start smoking e-cigarettes. You know, that's not, it's not an entryway into anything positive. So if there are, you know, folks who have done that and, you know, maybe the 14 to eight, 17 year old demographic, and they do want to quit because they've become heavily addicted to nicotine through the e-cigarette technology, I think our product could be a way for, to help them quit. Um, because I don't think the gums and the patches are going to work for them, and I don't believe they're even allowed to purchase those products. So I think giving them a sort of parallel experience to what they're used to and what what got them addicted to nicotine in the first place could be a way for us to, quote-unquote, help this sort of teenage epidemic. In our pre-interview, and I've also seen it too in a a couple of the articles that have been written, you use a term that... um, addiction alternative, and that's kind of what you consider e-cigarettes, and your product's different, you know, Contrast that for us. I don't think anyone can argue that if you pick up a commercially available e-cigarette, it's not going to help you quit nicotine. You are most likely going to become even more addicted to nicotine because you're able to use these devices freely compared to cigarettes. You can smoke them in your car. You can smoke them probably at your desk. I've seen people smoke them on planes, you know, because you can kind of hide and mask the scent of this. And so being able to do that typically is going to increase people's addiction to nicotine. So that's why I refer to them and why we refer to them as addiction alternatives. They're not helping you get rid of that addiction to nicotine. They're either furthering it or just continuing it. Is there anything wrong with being addicted to nicotine? I mean, I'll leave that up to medical uh, medical professionals to say I'm not a doctor. That's not my background. So I, I can't speak to the negative effects surrounding nicotine. I mean, based on my research, and this is just an opinion, not medical fact, um, in and of itself, it doesn't seem that nicotine is bad, but nicotine is never delivered just alone. There's always other compounds and carrier agents 
that are delivered with the nicotine substance. Most commonly, it's found in cigarettes, which is going to be delivered in a carcinogenic manner, which is going to hurt you. Right. And so I think being addicted to any sort of drug substance is not a positive thing. Right. So if you if you take it at face value and someone is heavily addicted to nicotine and you were to take away their vaporizer or e-cigarette and the only thing that was available on the market or in stores was cigarettes because they're addicted to that drug substance, they're going to run and get a cigarette and smoke it to to alleviate that feeling and craving that they have. Right. So our viewpoint is that hopefully we don't we don't want people to be addicted to nicotine and that's what our hopefully our product will end up delivering how familiar are you with the research that comes out of say public health england the cochrane review and so forth i mean we're talking to pretty high profile uh research that does say that you know e-cigarettes does help you quit smoking is that something that you get involved in in terms of pushing back on I mean, we haven't we haven't gotten involved as a company saying, you know, this is wrong or this is right. Uh, if, if I were to give, again, my opinion, it's that's a very interesting term. And I think uh, to help you quit smoking, that specific phrase that people use or researchers use. And I think that when they use that term, it can it can sort of be um, misinformation in a way. Right. As I mentioned earlier. Yes, it's helping you potentially transition off combustible cigarettes to e-cigarettes, but you're not quitting smoking. You're still smoking a device. You're still inhaling a drug substance that is has other kind of compounds within them that still the science is out on what they're going to do for you, all the different compounds and the flavorings and things like that. We don't know what the what the kind of long term research is on that yet. We'll just have to wait and see. So when they say quit smoking, I think that phrase should be changed to transition from combustible cigarette smoking to e-cigarettes. Is that easier for someone to do? I believe so. Yes, I believe if you are a cigarette smoker and you pick up an e-cigarette, it's going to be easier for you to transition to that than let's say a gum or a patch, which is why we designed our product the way we designed it. But I don't think you're quitting smoking. As long as there's still nicotine intake, you're not quitting smoking in your opinion. As long as you is exactly as long as you're still smoking a device and there's nicotine within that device, I don't think you're going to quit smoking. Because as I mentioned earlier, if you take that away from somebody, I think they will most likely run and get a cigarette. And there's been evidence of that with dual use and things like that. I know a huge portion of our audience is probably taking exception to the fact that you use the term smoking with regard to a vaping device. Have you ever had pushback on that? Uh, not 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 so much uh, thus far. I know they like to differentiate. I know a lot of folks like to differentiate it between, you know, there's vaping and then there's smoking. Um, you know, from a regulatory perspective, obviously, they look at it as one in the same, which is why commercially available e-cigarettes haven't been allowed to designate themselves as smoking cessation products. Uh, so I'll, I'll let kind of the regulators and the and the medical professionals and the science professionals debate that. But um, yeah, in my in my opinion, Again, just my personal opinion, I don't think, you know, moving from cigarettes to just to vaping is quitting smoking. How aware are you of, of the amount of disruption you're bringing to this uh, conversation? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know it's kind of a, a hot topic amongst two communities, one being the vaping community, which is very passionate about, you know, uh, vaping being an alternative to cigarettes. And I, I don't knock the vaping community at all. I think it's I think that technology vaping technology is great. Right. I think it, it, anything that can get somebody off smoking combustible cigarettes is good. Right. And certainly vaping is a safer and healthy, healthier alternative. And I think, you know, people might be kind of uh, kind of <laughs> what is it? What's the word? A little bit emotional about what we're doing, because 
there's a lot of noise surrounding the fact that potentially we are trying to disrupt the e-cigarette market and take away e-cigarettes and things of that nature, which is just entirely not true. I think there's an alternative. We, we are an alternative. Now, uh, part of that uh, apprehension comes from the fact that you're backed by, financially backed by some pretty uh, important people in the anti-vaping campaign. Uh, why don't you address that? I think you're speaking about, you know, a few high profile names that are two degrees of separation away from us, right? So we've been backed by institutional investors, one of them being Village Global. There's LPs, which are limited partners in this fund. This is people that invest in a fund and the fund invests in startups. So the LPs in Village Global include folks like Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, Michael Bloomberg, you know, pretty big names, but they don't have really any specific say about what investments these fu this fund is making, nor they may even know what investments those fund that the fund is making. They've simply invested in the fund and expect the fund to return them capital. It's not like the fund went to Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates and, and Michael Bloomberg and said, hey, we're going to invest in Hava Health. What do you guys think? That didn't happen. Right. So they probably are completely unaware that our company even exists. Uh, today, but unfortunately, you know, people catch on to headlines, and they might just, you know, write stories based on that fact. Well, the more uh, conspiratorial-minded and suspicious, and I've known to go down that route, you know, on the odd occasion, it certainly looks strange that somebody who, like, like Michael Bloomberg, who puts in 160 million dollars into eradicate vaping. I mean, it's pretty clear he wants to eradicate vaping, but then to find out that he may be invested in this product, um, it's concerning for some. Right. Again, he's not personally invested. He's he's indirectly invested through a fund and he definitely <laughs> most likely doesn't know who we are and what we're doing. Uh, and all that being said, you know, it's, it's interesting that that conspiracy exists because the theory is that Michael Bloomberg is trying to, I guess, kill the vaping industry. So his investment into Hava Health becomes the only vape available in the market. The problem there is that the route that we're going is so difficult and capital intensive. If we were trying to be the only vape device in the market, we would just go down the PMTA route, spend a few million dollars and get the product approved. The path that we're going to call going down through a medicinal pathway through the FDA to get this smoking cessation designation is going to cost us tens, if not maybe close to $100 million to do this. Right. And so it just doesn't add up that we would take a much more difficult approach to this than the than the vaping community is taking but then we're also trying to disrupt the vaping community so it it it, does, it just doesn't add up let's talk about that path why did you choose to go down the therapeutic path that's the goal of our company and that's the mission of our company right as i mentioned earlier the genesis of the company came from a close family member of my co-founders passing away from smoking and his little brother expressing his frustration that he wanted to quit so our device was always built with the intention to quit and it's very important for us that we be able to say that. And that's what our product does. And so that's the reason we're going down the medicinal path because that's our mission, that's our goal, and that's what we and that's how we created the company. So that's the path we chose to take. And it's much more rigorous, much more difficult, again, much more capital intensive and time intensive. But that's the mission of the company. So do you see yourself, uh, once you get approved, if you do get approved, is it a prescription or is it over the counter, you know, walk into a drugstore and buy it, that kind of a thing? 
Uh, ideally, we would be over the counter, just like Nicorette or Nicoderm, the nicotine replacement therapies that have been on the market for, I don't know, decades. Uh, so that's that's where we want to be. Let's talk a little bit about the nicotine. And I mean, I'll share with you and our audience one of the concerns that I had when I first heard about the device was that the control over the nicotine dosing. And I just went, oh, that's the last thing I need is a government or big pharma or something like that controlling my nicotine. But yet, though, when we spoke earlier, I kind of got a, a vision of it because one thing that I know is that when you're trying to quit smoking or say you wanted to transition out of vaping, for instance, it can be all consuming in your mind. Thinking about the quitting, thinking about managing that nicotine wean down. How is it that your device makes that, say, better emotionally, psychologically, uh, more mm -hmm. successful? Right. So, I mean, when we thought about building the product, we wanted it to be extremely seamless from a user experience perspective. We didn't want to have any of our users or patients think about having to figure out what dose they need to do or how to dose themselves down or any of that. Right. So when we when we built our device, we said, all you have to do is smoke our device and let us handle the rest. It's not that we're trying to control your nicotine usage. We're trying to put you on a program because someone's buying our device is coming in with the intention that they want to quit already. Otherwise, you would just go buy another commercially available e-cigarette. So when you're purchasing our device, the intention is already inherent in the patient. And so we're saying when you purchase our device, don't think about anything. Let us handle the nicotine reduction program for you, because if you look at the gums and the patches, there's all these things. OK, in four weeks, you have to go buy the seven milligram or in six weeks, you have to go buy the four milligram. And you have to kind of track that and think about all that. We're taking all of that away and we're just saying, look, we're going to understand the type of smoker you are based on a control time period, whether you're a heavy smoker, medium smoker, light smoker. And we're going to put you on a specific regression plan from there. And you're not going to have to think about anything. It's just going to happen. And it's going to happen in such an incremental and gradual manner that you're not going to feel the withdrawal symptoms that you get out of the current nicotine replacement therapies. And that's where we differentiate ourselves and why I believe that the product is going to work over those those other or those other incumbent products. Yeah. And who do you see as your biggest competitor once once you're launched? The biggest competitors uh, definitely are the nicotine replacement therapies that have been approved by the FDA thus far. So you have your Nicorette, your Nicoderm, your Chantix. Uh, the Nic Nicotrol inhaler, I believe it's called. Those are definitely our competitors. And those that's who we want to disrupt. So I know that you've got some patents uh, that you filed. Um, you know, where are you at in the process in terms of technology development, fundraising, and, you know, how much farther do you have to go? Yeah, so we filed four patents from a technology development perspective. Uh, we, we have the hardware and software fully fleshed out. We feel very confident um, that we're in a good place and we believe the product is going to work once it's being put into humans. Obviously, that's going to take some time before we can get into the clinic uh, from a regulatory perspective. Uh, from a fundraising perspective, we raised a $2 million pre-seed round from a number of institutional and angel investors to get us where we are today. Uh, we're planning to raise a Series A later this year. It'll be a, probably a fairly large round. Um, in the, made probably in the 10 to $15 million range. And that's gonna be able to get us through, hopefully, uh, to commercialization in a, in a, uh, in a country, in a, in a different country other than the United States and get us through maybe a, a phase one trial here in the US. So why not, you know, in the US for trial? Like you're gonna try a secondary market first? Yes, uh, just because the path to market in uh, other countries other than the United States is a little bit more permissive. Uh, we believe we can get to market in a much more rapid fashion and allow us to beta test the product and work through some kinks. You know, hopefully once we get it to commercialization, sort of our beta test market to deal with all the struggles that's going to come with, you know, scaling up manufacturing, distribution, et cetera, et cetera. So that once we do launch in the United States, hopefully it will be a smooth process. What about pricing uh, for the device? I know it's still a little bit early, but one of the big advantages that people see for switching over to vaping products, traditional vaping products, 
is uh, not having to pay the tax if they live in a good location. And also, you know, you can really save money. Is that going right. to be the case still uh, with the hail? I, I think from our pricing perspective, because as mentioned earlier, our competitors are the nicotine replacement therapies, we're trying to price in line with those products. So if you look at, you know, some of your, the gums and the patches, 30 day supply for some of these brand name products can range anywhere from 40 to $60. So we're looking to charge a one-time purchase price of our device somewhere in that range. We haven't figured out the exact price yet, but it should be within that range. And then we want to be able to have uh, consumers just pay a monthly subscription for our mobile app, and we'll be able to deliver replacement capsules or pods for them so they don't have to think about anything. So, I mean, we're looking at our, our product as sort of a razor blade model where you purchase the device initially, and then on a monthly basis, we're just going to handle kind of the replacement capsules for you. So from a marketing point of view, you guys must have been looking at this because you're entering into the marketplace with a device that's so similar, obviously, to traditional vaping and e-cigarette devices, which have just been hammered in public opinion. So mm -hmm. how have you guys you know, looked at the marketplace? How do you plan on entering into it? Because most people, let's be honest, most people are going to see users of your device and not know that it was a, you know, the hail. And mm -hmm. there could be a stigmatization there um, around the device. Are you planning on spending money to help people understand that, you know, vaporizers are, are not evil? Yeah, I think there will be a, a kind of a public learning curve because of what has happened around the public sentiment around vaping in general. And certainly our device, you know, looks and feels like an e-cigarette or vaporizer. So I think there will be some kind of marketing that has to be has to be spent, marketing dollars that have to be spent in educating the public that, hey, this is different than the commercially available e-cigs because it's intended for smoking cessation. It's been approved by the appropriate regulatory bodies for smoking cessation, and it's going to be available, you know, where you can purchase other nicotine replacement therapy products. So I think all of that kind of combines into where we can stand out and differentiate ourselves from what's readily available today. Can you see, you know, traditional products and hail coexisting in the same marketplace? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't think that, you know, e-cigarettes have to disappear for us to exist. You know, I think there's certainly people in the market who are going to want to not quit nicotine entirely or not quit smoking entirely and might want to just transition from cigarettes and continue smoking e-cigarettes. And that's fine. That's their choice. Right. But I think there is certainly going to be a demographic of people that want to quit entirely. Maybe it's for health reasons. Maybe it's for monetary reasons. And our product, I think, fits into that category for the person who truly wants to quit. So. What about big pharma and big tobacco? Have they presented any challenges for you? Not, not, the, not as of yet, and I, I don't think that they will. Um, I think potentially big pharma may be a partner down the road um, as we as we scale the product. You know, they they could look at us as a, a potential um, nicotine replacement therapy that disrupts what they're doing. So maybe they they do want to get involved in some capacity, but we haven't had any serious conversations with either of those industries. Well, there is always the question when it comes to tech startups, and that's what's your exit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, ha I haven't thought about that. You know, we're not building for an exit. We're, we're building this company to really become the dominant nicotine replacement therapy product in the market. So, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And all we're focused on is really building a valuable company that actually provides um, a nicotine replacement therapy that works for the end user. So main message here is that this isn't some grand plan from Michael Bloomberg to destroy the traditional industry and take it over through your product. Not at all. Not at all. I don't even have that plan, so. 
yeah. So if, if, if he does have that plan, he didn't relay it to me. No, no one has told me about this plan. <laughs> Josh, you're basically making the argument that traditional e-cigarettes and vaping devices are not smoking cessation, hence the hail is the first device designed for smoking cessation. There's a, there would be some pushback on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there will be. And, you know, what what we like to say here is that the traditional e-cigarettes are not smoking cessation. They're transitionary products for people who are smoking combustible cigarettes and they switch to, let's say, an e-cigarette. They haven't quit smoking and they haven't quit their addiction to nicotine. They're simply transitioning from one form factor to another. Is that form factor more healthy? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. Right. But I don't think that they've quit smoking. Um, I think and that's where our product is sort of filling the gap. And I think that, you know, the regulatory folks across the world would agree with us, which is why that e-cigarettes have not been giving a smoking cessation designation. And there's probably no plans for them to do that. There are quite a few groups out there well funded, um, of course, Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, Truth Initiative and so forth. Have they reached out to you? Have you reached out to them? It seems like there there might be some kind of, you know, ally there. No, we haven't reached out to them. They haven't reached out to us as of yet. I think, you know, that's going to come down the road when we when we prove the efficacy of our product. You know, we will have to do that in clinical trials. And once we show both the safety profile of our products and the efficacy when it comes to smoking cessation, I think we'll have a strong leg to stand on when speaking to these groups, because I'm sure that initially they're going to be a little hesitant based on the form factor and the technology that we're delivering our product in, which is very similar to e-cigarettes. Do you and your co-founder and your team at all feel like you might be capitalizing on the misery that's been, you know, hammered down onto uh, the traditional vaping industry? No, because we never we never intended that for ha to happen. When we started the company, th that that misery, so, so to speak, wasn't happening when we started the company, right? It was things were blowing up and things were going well for the e-cigarette industry, and so we weren't like, oh, let's let's you know jump on this when they're getting hammered down, so we can kind of come out ahead and be this white knight. That wasn't our intention at all. As mentioned, our original intention of the product and company was to really provide a nicotine replacement therapy that was disruptive to what's available in the market. And I would I would go so far as to say is that we don't agree what's happening to the vaping industry. Our company, our co-founder, our team. We think it's unfair what's happening to the vaping industry because the science, it's all clear that it's safer than combustible cigarettes. So the fact that any government body would want to ban e-cigarettes or restrict them, but not do the same to combustible cigarettes is absolutely ludicrous. So, you know, we agree with, with, what's, with what proponents of e-cigarettes and vaporizers say. Well, let me ask you the question regarding flavors then. How's your plan? What is your plan to navigate around that issue? Yeah, from a flavoring perspective, we're actually going flavorless uh, with our product. Uh, so there's going to be no flavoring compounds within our product initially to start. Um, there's a number of reasons uh, behind that, both from, you know, just a testing and safety perspective and also the kind of anti-sentiment the, uh, the anti or negative sentiment around flavoring being something that kids would latch on to. Uh, so it's just, you know, we decided to just go flavorless initially. We might retroactively introduce flavors down the road, um, but right now our product is is intended to be flavorless. Have you planned in any technology uh, techniques uh, to turn, you know, devices off if they happen to get in the hands of teenagers? 
Uh, we do have the ability to kind of restrict that because we do have Bluetooth controls within our product. So it's, 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 it's not difficult for us to introduce that technology, but we haven't put any kind of hard lock on that as like, you know, an advertised feature. The reason being is that it's going to be a little bit more difficult to purchase our product. You have to go to, you know, one of these, one of these pharmacies and it's over the counter. It's not like you can go to a local bodega or a smoke shop and purchase our product because it's going to be regulated to a certain degree. Right. And so if you were, if you were a 16 year old or 15 year old and you wanted to get your hands on an e-cigarette, the dumb thing to do would be to try to get ours. The easy thing to do would be try to get uh, what's what's available down the street from you at 7-Eleven, right? So it just wouldn't make sense for them to purchase our product. If you really want to do that, there's many avenues for you to do that. In September 2019, the big month that we're talking about here, um, there was a lot of chatter that happened after the TechCrunch article. A lot of comments that weren't necessarily so nice. Talk to us about that. It blew my mind. It was interesting to see. I didn't expect that, right? And I didn't expect kind of this this negative pushback against us uh, from the e-cigarette and vaporizer community. And I think that was just because they felt that we were part of this kind of government grand scheme or Illuminati grand scheme to kill the vaping industry so that this product would succeed. And, you know, that would be the only product in the market and would make all the people behind it very rich. And so that that threw me off guard because that just wasn't the case. And so it was it was interesting and sort of funny to see in a way because everyone was, you know, throwing all these names out there. And I had I haven't even spoken to these people. So <laughs> it just it just it just blew my mind a little bit. So when can we expect to buy our first hail? Hopefully um, in another country within the next 24 months and hopefully in the United States within the next uh, 36 to 48 months, ideally. Well, anybody who's trying to get smokers to quit as easy as possible, more power to you, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank you for your time, Brent.